0: One of my favorite women in supply chain joined me on the show last week to talk about her journey to success and I did a small tribute to Angie that we both almost ended up in tears. Her journey is full of great advice, magic moments, and so much more. Go and check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. It's episode 110 or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com I am very excited about partnering with Iana again this year for Intermodal Expo 2020. Last year, I interviewed attendees and exhibitors about why they attend this event each year. I'd like to play a clip from my podcast booth that was on the show floor last year. I want to ask you, why did you want to exhibit at Expo? What value has it brought to your business? So it's extremely valuable. We as I said earlier, you know, we're focused from a growth perspective in this space. There's a lot of opportunity, both from our perspective and our customers' perspective. So this really provides us an informal environment to sit and understand our customers, where they're at today, what their challenges are, how are we supporting them, and what we can do going forward to better support them. And that's just a small portion of what you can expect at Expo. Use promo code LTSC2020 at checkout, because I hope to see you there. Hello, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This week is a huge week. We hit our two-year anniversary coming up on Thursday. We've got a really fun lineup of things that uh, we are going to do to celebrate. So we hope as a community, you will stay tuned and be part of that with us. It's been an incredible journey. One of the things that I'm super proud of is our Woman in Supply Chain series, Um, We are doing some flashbacks and some tributes to all of the women that have been in our series on Fridays and you will hear their why as to why they wanted to participate in the series and uh, what it meant for them to be featured. So stay tuned for that. Today, Scott Luton and Greg White from Supply Chain Now who need no introduction are joining me on the show in part two of our Super Trends series. This series has been incredible with our kickoff off party on LinkedIn, which was live March 5th. Part one, we talked about jump-starting sustainability and that released on Supply Chain Now on March 16th. And next up on the calendar after this release is our mid-series LinkedIn Live over on the Supply Chain Now LinkedIn page happening on May 5th. Make sure to keep that in your agenda as we will be interacting with the community on your biggest questions that come up from the first two episodes and give You a sneak peek on what's to come in the next two before we get right into the episode? Because man, they can talk. Just kidding. Let's get to the question of the week. So, the question of the week is what is your favorite tool for streamlining your supply chain? We the community came out in droves and it was amazing to see all of the answers. Irina Roska, cloud-based purchase order management systems with open APIs for additional real-time communication with other data points. Um, also, we had uh, Greg White say predictive and prescriptive supply chain analytics um, Andrew Johnson says self shelf aware, a remote data driven corona resistant supply chain tool. Imran says supply chain positioning model. Jim Hilbert, real time visibility, collaboration, and traceability for your direct raw material spend is a must have in Twenty twenty, Nitin says automated reports. Amar says to reduce manifest and dispatch. Um, And uh, we had so, so much more. Thank you so much to everybody who, um, you know, came out and had a great discussion on our LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram um, about your favorite tools in supply chain. Check that out every single Wednesday morning. We talk about we have the question of the week that we post on, uh, like I said, Wednesday mornings, and that's on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So let's get back to today's episode. I mean, Scott and Greg from Supply Chain Now, they're doing some incredible things over at the Supply Chain Now community with the community talking to some thought leaders, they're doing some live events. And I'm really excited to talk about this next super trend. um, Because we're talking about the death of end to end. I don't know if you guys saw the blog that I did a little while ago, in conjunction with Procurement Foundry. But you can go check it out either at procurementfoundry.com or on their LinkedIn page. And I was talking about how we're going to move from end to end into circular. Is it really the death? I know that a lot of Companies have put a lot of time, effort, and investment into their end-to-end supply chain. Um, But I really, truly think that we are going into a circular environment. So um, we are going to be talking all about that today. So welcome to the show, Scott and Greg.
1: Hey, Sarah, how you doing? Hey, Sarah, great to be here.
0: Well, finally, we are getting together on Let's Talk Supply Chain. I mean, I've been on Supply Chain now a few times, but never had the pleasure of having you both on my show. It's just been kind of a crazy year for all of us. I love what you guys are doing over at Supply Chain now, and I'm super excited to be partnered on this series. So let's get started. Let's not keep the people waiting.
1: Yeah, Got to give the people what they want.
0: That's right. And that's what we're doing with this series. So today we are talking about the death of end to end. You know, we bi- we pick this topic because I feel like every day we're hearing more and more about the circular supply chain, but we all wonder if it's really doable or are we very far off from that. I mean, you know, we hear about circular supply chain and sustainability, they're intertwined and and uh, we know that one leads into the other, but you know, can, can we make it happen? Can we afford to move from end to end supply chain to circular? What do you guys think?
2: I think we can. Um you know, if we, if we are really committed to sustainability, then we really have to uh, do it. And, the, you know, the truth is there is a lot of circularity in supply chain as it is. So topically, if you think about uh, one of the topics of the recent past, toilet paper, it is made from recycled paper. So there is a circular aspect to generating that product from its very beginning. All we got to do is just create more awareness um, of those those kind of products in the supply chain and figure out how to do it. And truthfully, we do have to figure out economical ways to do it because it's not the same for every product.
0: And, you know, I agree with you, but at the same time, I feel like companies have spent a lot of time and money investing in, you know, really making their end-to-end supply chain more efficient and more cost-effective and, you know, reducing costs to the consumer and things like that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, is it, you know, we talk about it being something that has to be done. I just don't know if the timing is going to be what we want. It might take companies a little bit longer because of this time and investment that we've put into it. And I think to become circular from end to end, we have to look at it from a micro level.
1: You know, I, I think it is, um, there's never going to be a perfect time to make this massive transformation. You know, I think some companies um, have certainly gotten the jump start, and their leadership has been very adamant and intentional about making uh, strides, you know. Jack Allen with Cisco certainly comes to mind. Cisco is one of those uh, trailblazers when it comes to CE-minded businesses and CE-minded uh, leadership. Uh, but you know, the timing is never going to be perfect. Uh, I mean, think of the backdrop that we're, we're recording this interview now. You know, when, when we see huge shifts like this, big challenges, it upsets the apple cart, especially upsetting. Uh, the, the transformation journeys that are already difficult in and of themselves. So th- there will always be a reason that, that, um, to suggest that it can't be done and it shouldn't be done or, or not now, but maybe later. But to, to Greg's point and Sarah, to your point, uh, it, it, it's a, a journey that must be made sooner rather than later. And I think come, uh, going back to our first episode, Sarah, I think you made a great point that as I continue to do my homework for this session, uh, you talked about how it's less about sustainability and more about the economy because uh, talking about the economy and the bottom line that gets everybody's attention, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, one of the uh, pieces that we'll we'll talk about momentarily, um, research went into identifying the different segments of folks that are um, that are invested and bought in on some level of this uh, circular economy shift. And the one unifying component was let's talk money. Let's talk the economy. That gets everybody's attention.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's an interesting point too, because I was also having a conversation with a lady last Friday and we were talking about sustainability and and their consultants for sustainability and circular supply chain. But what she was saying is that a lot of companies are looking at it as a cost center and not a profit center because it takes a little bit of investment or a lot of investment to get to that profitability point. So I think it's about Taking a look at it, um, you know, when you look at end-to-end versus circular is really that mindset of, you know, why you're going to be implementing it and why you're going to be putting, you know, so much investment and change management behind that. Greg?
2: It's, (laughs) it is more than a cost center for sure. Um, Look, I think you have, if you're only thinking about transitioning your supply chain from a cost center to a profit center or a, um, as Mike Griswold loves to talk about when we we talk with him each month, a competitive advantage, then you're already behind the curve by a long shot. Mm. You really have to think about your supply chain and how it accrues to the benefit of your top line and your corporate identity and brand affinity and things like that and because supply chain is more and more out front less and less a back office and infrastructure type function of the organization it's more and more out front when consumers and politicians and doctors and other professionals say supply chain on CNN or CNBC or Fox or whatever, you know, the game has changed. And if you don't see it coming, you're going to get trampled.
0: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, with the end to end versus circular, supply chain has a huge influence on that. You know, when it when we're looking at reducing carbon footprint and turning waste into opportunity. And that kind of brings me to my next question. I'm going to talk about a quote that I I um, just recently read in Saracis, you know, circular supply chain, it was on their blog. So can we afford not to go circular? So here's the quote that he said. He said, circular changes waste into opportunity. So if people are thinking about circular and sustainability being a cost center, um, think about that quote a little bit longer. Circular changes waste into opportunity. Opportunity means more revenue generating, reducing the bottom line, creating more efficiencies. So I just implore people to really hold on to that quote because I think it's going to change your mindset um, on end-to-end versus circular. Um, Michael Hoban from Saracis says, our planet's resources are finite, so companies must look at becoming circular to grow and create a sustainable company independent of declining resources. Well put. Sit
2: with that for a minute. <laughs> well, you know, to kind of leverage on what we just said, right? In the last segment, can you afford not to be circular with the awareness that those consumers and other brands and politicians and other world leaders have? You absolutely cannot afford not to employ Circular because if right now it affects your bottom line. I get that. It's costly to transition, especially if you're a legacy-type supply chain operation. It's very, very difficult to make the transition. Some companies aren't even really end-to-end. There's still a number of siloed yes. organizations, right? If you're there, skip that and go right to circular bite the bullet and get there because the thing you have to recognize is that the top line is what's next to be impacted by supply chain your ability to get goods there your ability to get people interested in those goods because they are aware consumers are aware of the suppliers that you work with the business ethics, the sustainability, the, the um, deliverability of even your suppliers. So it has become, supply chain has become a very prominent portion of your corporate brand. So absolutely cannot afford to have a weakness in an area that impacts your top line revenue, right? Uh, Or brand affinity, like we were talking about. You absolutely have to do it.
0: Well, and think about it from a corporate responsibility standpoint as well. Right? You're no longer just looking at your company itself. You're looking at the environment, the world around you, the legacy that we're giving to the next generation. That is the responsibility of not only corporations, but supply chains as well.
2: I don't disagree with any of that. I think that as much as corporations want to be responsible corporate citizens, there is, a, there is a very short list of things that actually motivate them to take action. One is shareholder value. The other is is brand, market, reputation, and value. And both of those are going to be heavily impacted by this corporate responsibility. Look, I I work with charities all the time. I'm the muscle that goes in and says, hey, rich guy, put a crowbar in your wallet and pry out the money. I don't care why they do it. Mm -hmm. I don't care if their purpose is, um, is to increase their own profit or it is to really be a good corporate citizen as long as they do it. That's the important thing. And in truth, companies are driven more by putting money in their pockets. Let's just face it. As you said earlier, right, the economics have to work.
1: So let's talk. Uh, Sarah, I'm not sure if we're ready to to turn the page and and talk about the consumers.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's a really good place to go next because they are also – driving the sustainability and the corporate responsibility uh-huh. that we are putting on the corporations and the organizations that are providing the products and if you know supply chain like greg said is you know really affecting the top line and the bottom line and customer experience is also affecting those two areas then they're totally correlated. and i think that we couldn't get through you know this topic without talking about it so over to you scott
1: all right, so uh, I want to walk through, uh, I saw a great uh, piece of research uh, research published in Forbes by Ann Field uh, back at the end of February, so just a, a few weeks back, and uh, Ann published a piece on uh, research that was conducted by Longitude, which is a division of the Financial Times Group, which had surveyed 15,000 consumers. In eleven countries across Europe, Asia Pacific, and North America, during the the second half of 2019, uh, as part of the uh, of the research, it was really f- the questions were focused around fashion, food, and electronics sectors. And and I think what will be valuable to this conversation, as as well as to our listeners, is some of the data points that this pretty impressive um, research initiative uh, led to. So let's look at this. So First up, research found that 83% of consumers believe their behaviors and purchasing choices can have a positive impact on addressing some of these environmental challenges that we're, we're all speaking to. Uh, 59% of these 15,000 consumers are influenced by a product's environmental impact when they decide what to buy. And, mm-hmm. and get this, 38% have boycotted food brands because of perceived bad environmental practices. That's 38% across the 15,000 consumers. But when you look at it in terms of some of the generational, some of the age bracketing they looked at, 18 to 24 years old, 47% of that demographic have chosen to boycott brands. Uh, If you look at the 25 to 34 years old, 48% have chosen to boycott. Now, now compare that to uh, the 55 years old and above demographic that was part of the 15,000, only 28% of that group had chosen to boycott over environmentally unfriendly, uh, or at least perceived unfriendly uh, company behavior. So I've got some more data points I want to share, but let's get y'all's comments on those data nuggets first. I think
2: that goes directly to the brand identity and affinity Um, You know, when you think about it, who do you care about liking or understanding or appreciating how you approach the market and how you approach this initiative, these initiatives around sustainability and circularity, except for the consumers um, and other opinion makers and influencers out there. Right. So it is this is most definitely being driven by. I think the millennial generation and Gen Z, I've, I've watched my youngest daughter decide to do or not do business with somebody based on their um, you know their their practices as a company. Um, honestly, now that we have so much data, I, I I'm aware of a lot of things, right? I mean this you know, slave trade in the diamond industry and all of the slave labor that's used, with the Uyghurs in um, in China, in, in terms of developing some of those and and producing some of those products, uh, you know, things like that are infuriating. And why do you want to give your money to to enable that? I mean, you really are contributing to that to enabling that bad behavior as a as a uh, consumer. And why would you want to be party to that?
0: Yeah. And I think it brings up a couple of different points, right? I think that, you know, you bring up a really good point, Greg, when you say that we've got the data points now. We never used to have access to this kind of information to be able to make the consumer decisions that we've made in the past. And now we can make the most out of those data points and the information that's available, which, you know, to corporations and organizations, they need to be able to utilize that data just as much as a consumer to understand, predict, analyze, and be able to reduce waste and increase sustainability so that we're, all you know going to be able to live sustainable lives moving forward Mm. and that is what circular supply chain is really all about taking that end product looking how we can um, recycle it how we can change it into another product that is either you know not wasteful good for the environment and those are the things that people are looking for and you know The age categories that you spoke about, Scott, I think that, you know, the 55 and above never had those data points. So it's not something that's top of mind when they're going to the store to buy a product. Right. But I think that as they have more access to data and information, I think we might see those numbers actually increase. And also, you know, the data points that you're giving to us today, those are percentages as of today, and they are just going to go up. I mean, corporations and organizations need to really take A micro look at their supply chains every single piece of that chain how can we make that more efficient more not economical but just more waste reduction reducing that carbon footprint because they all they all transition into each other so you make one change on one part of the chain you need to make sure How it's going to affect the other part of the chain. And so, if we're going to really turn this into circular, let's not make one change in one part that's going to increase our carbon footprint in another. Let's get all the departments together in the supply chain and really take a look at it from a micro level. It's going to take time. It's going to take time and it's going to take investment. But at the end of the day, that 48% is what's going to drive profitability for your customer and if you're not taking a look at how to create that circular supply chain with what you're doing right now you're going to be pushing a really big boulder up a very big hill <laughs> that you might not be able to push to the top
1: well it's also going to take some of our convenience away as consumers and and we're this part of the conversation you know on the front end we kind of talked more about uh, the company and the organizational um, level side of the, the equation with this part, we're talking about the consumers because we all know sitting here today that if we can get the consumers bought in and if we can get consumer behavior to continue to change, it will make uh, the transformation and the journey to successful circular economy way of leadership and and, and business practices much, much easier. But so conveniences. So this research uh, again, this comes from Longitude and, and and it was summarized in a report by financial services firm ING. Um, some of the barriers. So, so from the findings, the consumers are good until it starts uh, uh, inconveniencing the consumers. For example, 41% of the 15,000 they surveyed think renting clothes would require a lot more effort. 36%. Really? Yeah, that's right. Forty-one percent. Thirty-six percent say that time is a barrier to repairing devices. And you know, that's that's one element of sustainability that we're seeing play out across e-commerce. You're able to purchase used or remanufactured equipment. Or more and more consumers are are taking currently broke equipment and getting it repaired rather than chunking it and buying new. Hmm. Oh, one other thing, uh, and then get y'all way in here. Because both of y'all spoke to the lack of information available. And while I would argue there's a lot more information available today versus the 80s versus the 60s or whatever era you want to pick on, uh, the survey did support your findings. Only 21% of the 15,000 consumers think that companies provide detailed information on the overall environmental impact of products. So that lack of information is a challenge.
0: Well, and that's really interesting because that goes to your um, company story. That bleeds into marketing. How are you positioning your company, not only from a supply chain standpoint, from but from a marketing standpoint? If the if the consumers are looking for that data, how are you giving them that information on what you're doing? And maybe they're holding back because they haven't transitioned yet into a circular supply chain, and their their sustainability goals aren't where they want them to be to be able to share their data. So they're, like I said, you know, there's going to be a time shift there. I'm going I'm, I'm to ask a question you might not like in a minute, <laughs> and I'll let Greg weigh in before I do that. But I wonder with those barriers that you just mentioned, um, if corporations partnered with startups that are able to break those barriers down. And I'm sure that there's innovative companies and startups out there that are already thinking about some of these, you know, barriers to sustainability, barriers to circular supply chain that you'd be able to partner with and break down those barriers a lot faster than doing it on your own. So I would encourage companies to really look into the startup space and see what's out there. Greg?
1: Great
2: point. Yeah, I totally agree. So a couple of the points that you, you both touched on. One um, to expect the consumer to absorb discomfort is folly. That's not going to happen. Um, look, uh, we've proven over and over that we speak one way and we act another. And, mm-hmm. and there are ver- so many varying tiers of awareness of caring of ability to adopt some of these changes that it's just not going to happen and I, I would love to say it would uh, and i know that we all want it to but yeah but when it comes down to it um you know it it's really really hard and um so I think what we have to do is we have to figure out how to economically accommodate, to go back to your point, Sarah, to economically accommodate what the consumer wants to have happen and do so with as much, uh, I should say, yeah, I mean, as, as much um, Consideration. consideration for the convenience of the client, right? We've got to make it, um, fairly seamless for the for the consumer. The other thing I, I think we got to think about too, and Scott, you touched a bit on this is first you make the change in any disruption of any marketplace or any process, first you make the change, then you make it economical. Right? Mm-hmm. So we are going to change to a circular economy period end of sentence we will over time develop efficiencies. I mean, think about the PC and what, it, you know, going from supercomputers, which were the only things that existed to, to PCs in the home that were, I mean, in the eighties were over a thousand dollars often. And now you, you can get one that's far more powerful than that for 99 bucks. You figure these things out over time. And By doing so, the adoption of consumers increases. You make it easier and you make it cheaper and adoption by the consumer increases. So we have to think about this in that model. I'm a firm believer that there is nothing that can't be done. Right? I, I often say I'm willing to acknowledge reality, but I refuse to be bound by it.
0: I like that. Can I quote you on that one?
2: You can. It's on. It's on my LinkedIn page. As a matter of fact, um, and and the reason that I say that is because in the realm of human consciousness, reality is just simply what we can conceive at any moment in time, and that's limited by our perspective and our ability to process new concepts and ideas. So, reality is only what you can conceive, and if you can, if you conceive something. Differently, then that becomes your reality. But don't be bound by it. Because how many times have we heard, you know, in our lifetime, Scott and I are Gen Xers? So, how many times have we heard baby boomers or um, or the silent generation or even the greatest generation say that can't be done and it's done? So yeah. I absolutely do not believe that there's nothing there's anything that cannot be done. It might take more time will undoubtedly take more pain and effort than we think but it can be done yep. and
1: it will
0: and- don't shy away from collaboration. Like I was talking about with the the startups and the innovation that comes from there. I mean, if you're talking to a startup that is not necessarily exactly what you're looking for, I mean, two, three, four, five heads in a room are better than one. And I'm sure that there is a solution out there that somebody is already working on that can help you with that innovative possibility.
2: I yeah, say so, often, you are either the disrupted or the disruptor. You're not both. And big companies, you know, even the traditional greats, GE and others, even Cisco, they engage with smaller companies because they know that in their business paradigm, they can't see the Mm -hmm. simplicity and the inevitability and eventuality of change because they are so focused on their business and they're so focused on protecting that core business,
1: you know, speaking oh. speaking towards that uh, over the yeah. weekend, uh, Greg and Sarah, I watched a great fifteen minute or so video from the Wall Street Journal that mm-hmm. that walked us through Boeing's challenges. And one of my learnings from that outstanding fifteen minute video, which which you know, the Boeing challenges have kind of slipped past the, the front page news because of everything else we're facing right now, but they're they're still facing some historic challenges. Uh, and and one of the Root causes that the reporting focused on, Greg. To your point, mm-hmm. is Boeing in in recent years seemed to make a shift from a highly focused on the engineering and the technical and innovation side of the business to one that get, became much more focused on just a bottom line results side of the business, and and they they shortcutted some of their proven engineering innovation process driven um hallmarks and of course we're seeing what's going on now with the 737 max and and the challenges of getting that program back up and running in a safe manner that where where consumers feel comfortable flying in that aircraft so not not take us down a rabbit hole but do i want to as we wrap up on on this this segment on the consumer side i want to give a big shout out again to ann field uh, she was the uh, author, uh, part of the Forbes network that put this great article together, citing these these all these research findings from Longitude, from ING, and, and she can be found on Twitter at Anne Field Online. that's a at a n n e Field Online. But a great piece uh, by Anne and Forbes, and I think it's such an important thing. That cannot get lost in the shuffle, but unfortunately, it does. When we think about what we are doing to drive transformation, what companies mm-hmm. are doing to drive, um, uh, whether it's sustainability or circular economy or or just opex um, practices, the consumer can sometimes get lost as we get so proud internally of what we're doing. But yeah, if, if the consumer doesn't care, does it matter?
0: Well, you know, and I think, I think time's, time's gonna tell on that one, but I think with those numbers as they are right now, I don't think they're decreasing. I think they're really only going to go up from there. And I think you both probably agree with me on that. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to cover a couple of key drivers to success of Circular. And then Scott's going to end off with some tangibles, right? We want in this series to be able to leave you with some things, some best practices, some tangibles that you can walk away with to put into practice against some of these super trends that are coming at you on a daily basis. So some of the key drivers to success for circular, and these actually come from that Cerasis blog article that I was saying. It's C E R A S I S C-E-R-A-S-I-S.com forward slash circular dash supply dash chain forward slash. So the first one is driving force. And that just goes to reiterate what Scott was talking about from a consumer standpoint, because what they are saying is that the biggest driving force for circular supply chain is the consumer. Um, There are some impositions that are coming from the federal government on particular products that must must be recycled. But the biggest driver is going to be consumers. So when you're thinking about circular supply chain, think about your customer experience. Bring those departments in Mm -hmm. and talk Talk about how you guys can come together and figure this thing out. Um, Changing mindsets. So how can we get suppliers to take responsibility? Maybe we lease certain certain products instead of buy them. Maybe we use 3D printers to print product as needed. Then once product is returned, we can reuse the materials to 3D print the next one. Just things to think about right from a manufacturing perspective how can we buy or source more recyclable material or reuse material that right now is going to waste in our products what alternatives are there to plastics? Lots of discussions about that one happening right now. Lots of people talking about that. Plus also, you know, what is that solution to fast fashion? I mean, that can be a whole other conversation, I'm sure, because there's a lot that goes into that one. But just some, just some things to think about, you know, on the manufacturing end, do we need to have full inventory of finished product? do we need can we switch to just in time for some of our products and utilize 3d printers to be able to do that and use recycled material to do that as well so some big things to think about there when we're when we're looking to change our mindsets around that and then barriers to entry so like scott was saying earlier with you know the consumers and and looking at circular we do have barriers to entry. Um, Concessions have to be made in the linear supply chain space. Manufacturers producing massive quantities. Um, Predictive ordering is going to help with that so that we're reducing waste on the manufacturing side. Manufacturing is the biggest contributor two carbon footprint right now. So manufacturing is a huge deal, a huge part of supply chain that we want to be taking a look um, to help make circular. But basically their conclusion to all of that was it's going to take more collaboration between parties. And we all know that I love collaboration and collaboration is the future of business. So if you guys want to weigh in on some of those key drivers real quick, and then Scott, if you want to get into some of those tangibles.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I think about how circular, truthfully, some, <clears throat> a lot of that is. Um, you know, the, the consumer drives the supply chain. That has been a change that has come about in the last decade to 20 years. Um, and And, you know, it's largely because they were, given the choice to buy online and the choice to buy virtually anything online. And when our eyes were open to that, there was no going back. Right. <clears throat> and, and that also put us in charge of the supply chain. I think about some of what you described there, think about how prominent customization is. You can yes. buy a pair of, of sneakers um, that can be in any color that you want, and you don't have to go to a specialist like you used to in a you know back corner in L.A. somewhere. You can you can go straight to Nike or Puma or Adidas or whoever to get um, you know something that is unique to you. The awareness by consumers, as we've already talked about, is is much much uh, greater. Than it's ever been and again the awareness of that supply chain. I really liked your point around um, you know reusing materials um, from 3D printing. I, I have to confess I'm not completely attuned to how you make all the parts of certain products when you know when you do 3D printing but the point of that being able to recycle the product into something else That is the whole point of this circular discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think companies are some very forward thinking companies are thinking about that already, particularly um, the use of, of plastics. Not only is the use of plastics um, one of the largest contributors to, to pollution. It's also one of the largest contributors in my opinion to our continually fading health as, as humankind, mm. the estrogens that are in plastics are not good for us and not in the quantities that we, we consume things they constantly leach into the products that we consume from these plastics. And so there's no way to avoid it. And you can see the effect on, um, you know, on the population through many, many studies that that doctors have done. So, I think, as we start to attack some of those things, um, you know we'll see we'll see a lot of good effects of changing the consumer and manufacturing paradigm there.
0: Well, and I think also the um, the increase in customization will also drive the need for more 3D printing and being able to manufacture on ground, which means we're actually shipping less finished product that is going to waste and shipping more raw materials that we can put into products that people are actually going to use and could be mindful about recycling in the future if we're using the right products there. So Scott, I'll uh, give you the last word and then you can go right into those tangibles and best practices.
1: Yeah. Um, y- y'all shared so much uh, I, I guess one thing that, that hit my my brain on the tail end there is about 3d printing and I think one of the things I'm monitoring I am no 3d printing expert nor am I ever c- confused uh, as being a practicing attorney. However, the IP battles that are being waged around service parts and who own, who can who can print one and when I'm really curious to see kind of how that lands because I think, leveraging the technology that is 3d printing and, 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 and additive manufacturing, uh, that can bring so much to the table. However, we got to get around the, the the legal hassles in order to to, to really effectively leverage it all. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm a big sucker for research. So I want to walk through another great research piece here that I uncovered as part of my homework that Sarah gave me. And, and hopefully I can at least get a B on this Sarah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Did you eat your frogs first? I did. I I think we're all eating our frogs first this week. Uh, But, hey, I digress. So, here's a couple of of figures for you. First off, it has been estimated by Accenture Research that the transition to the circular economy could unlock $4.5 trillion of GDP growth worldwide by 2030. Now, that, that, that... that figure sounds great, right? But however, like the first half of our conversation spoke to, that represents a huge amount of hard work to even begin to approach that figure, right? Um, And then the second uh, point here, 8.5 billion people expected to inhabit the planet by 2030. So not only if we can make strides towards a more circular economy, will there be more financial opportunity for everybody? However, there also be more shelter, food, and resources for for some of the folks that live in parts of the world that don't have access to those things. So with that as a backdrop, I came across this great uh, 2017, so it's a couple of years old, but I think what I'm about to share here is pretty timeless. So the World Business Council for Sustainable Development and Boston Consulting Group, BCG, combined forces to... Uh, basically build research around 100 managers from a variety of industries uh, that also included a lot of deep one-on-one time to figure out what some of these companies and these organizations are doing to drive uh, circular economy uh, transitions. So I'm not going to walk through, um, based on their research, they did a report on the top 10 uh, seemingly best practices across the sectors, across the industry, didn't matter. And we won't walk through all 10 of these, But I want to pick, I've cherry picked five that I think are timeless and are really um, will give folks uh, some actionable feedback to start around as they look to either improve their current journey or kick off a new, uh, more effective uh, journey towards the circular economy. So, number three on the top 10 list was explain the concept and communicate the vision. Now, Greg, I want to get you to weigh in. You're our resident. Um, uh, visionary communicator. You, you, you probably uh, put a greater priority on communication and 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 sharing that vision uh, more so than Sarah, I, Sarah, or I do. Explain why that is so important here.
2: Well, I mean, I think it, you have to make sure whenever you want to change anything or whenever you want to introduce anything new, you have to make sure that. It's transparent and understood by the constituency that you're offering it to. In the absence of information, people will develop negative fantasies, right? They will assume the worst is probably an easier way to say that. And, you know, and I think you, you have to communicate and you have to communicate clearly and transparently and frequently because people live their lives and you have to continue to remind them that hey here's what we're doing here's why we're doing it and by the way here's how it benefits you if mm-hmm. you can continue to do that then you can you know you can enable enable the change we're
1: talking about and and you can dispel with the negative fantasies
2: yes <laughs> you can um, absolutely i mean You know, you have and you have to and you have to assume that you have to tell people things seven times. Mm
1: -hmm. So So along those lines, uh, I'm going to share the next two. And Sarah, I'm not sure as I was prepping this, I wasn't sure which of these two, these next two uh, speak from your point of view more. So I'm going to give you an option. So let me share these next two and then weigh in on which one you think is more important. Uh, So number four on the top 10 list was identify specific ambitions and develop a business case. I love that one. And according to the survey, 81% of the companies with a circular strategy also had a very clear business case that supported it. Um, And then number five uh, of, of, of this top 10 list from BCG uh, is educate your employees. Educate your employees. So, which of those two, Sarah, uh, the business case or the education of of employees, speak to you more?
0: You always do this to me. You put me on the spot. I <laughs> wish I would get these kind of ahead of time. Yeah, isn't
1: that your <laughs> job? I mean, yeah.
2: where did you lose control, Sarah?
0: I have no idea. This, you know, I've kind of lost control at this point of my of my own episode. Um, I think I could weigh in on a little bit of both. I mean. Honestly, education is the key driver to success as we move into this you know, economy of change, right? Change is coming at us at a rapid rate. That's why I did an episode last December about how you could speed read and speed learn because- mm, That was a good one. Yeah, everybody is getting so overwhelmed with the content that's coming. But education is key. Education is key to be able to taking your skills as they are now and looking to move them into the future. And you can only do that by expanding your knowledge. Hmm. And so that's what I would say about education. And it's definitely one of those that you need to have key people on your team to be able to do that research. You know, look at your team members holistically, who is good at research, who likes to do research or hire Scott because he loves doing research (laughs) and um, get more educated about circular versus end to end. And that actually bleeds into the business case, right? Because once you do the research, you have the knowledge, you want to be able to put that business case around it. And because circular needs to be looked at at a micro level, in my opinion because every piece of the chain is correlated, your business case needs to look at the impact that's going to happen, not only for that particular part of the chain, but up and downstream from that particular part of the chain. And how is it going to impact? Are things gonna to increase to levels that we don't want to see? Or is it going to decrease and we're gonna be able to work in that circular supply chain? So I have a little bit of say on both.
1: That's great. Um, so much there, so much good stuff to weigh in on, but let me wrap up these last two I'm going to share. Um, again, this is a top 10, uh, steps towards the circular economy based on research by our friends at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development and BCG. Number nine of this top 10 list was define KPIs around the business case. It's great that there's a business case, but if you cannot determine in a very objective black and white manner, if you're making progress towards achieving the business case, it's kind of fruitless. Uh, and then number 10, the final final step here. Uh, and there's five others that, that folks can go out and, and look at this piece on their own to find out, but do good and talk about it. And that goes, uh, I think that goes back to the communication message that Greg weighed in on. It goes back to the the employee education message that that Sarah weighed in on. Uh, it's so important to, to make progress and then share that with the marketplace.
0: Well, thank you, Scott. So, is it really the end? Well, I guess only time will tell, but I think Scott, Greg, and I were able to give us all something to think about as we move deeper into these conversations surrounding circular supply chains. For more information about Scott and Greg, Scott and Greg, where can they visit you? Where's your website?
1: SupplyChainNowRadio.com
0: Perfect. And for more information about this episode, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash episode 111. Thanks, Greg and Scott, for joining me on the show today. And we will see everyone live to further discuss this on May 5th at 3 p.m. Eastern over on the Supply Chain Now page. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate what you do and all your leadership uh, based up there in the beautiful city of Toronto. Look forward to reconnecting again soon.
0: This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say.
2: More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at Borderbuddy.com slash Let's Talk Supply Chain.
0: If you like this episode, make sure to check out our first part of this series over at Supply Chain Now, episode 307. And for the live kickoff party, you will find that on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. Get ready because next week, Joel, the CEO of Alloy, is here to talk platforms. Their platform is designed specifically to help your brand succeed in the market today. So if you want to know more, stay tuned as that episode is coming up next week. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter at letstalksupplychain.com. Subscribe to our YouTube uh, channel, which is called the SC Supply Chain TV. And uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, ships.com. So we're in full beta. We are doing an exclusive pilot with an exclusive group of freight forwarders and mid-market shippers so if you want to visit ships.com that's s-h-i-p-z.com to get in on the fun make sure to um, sign up for our newsletter so that you get all of our updates and um, also sign up at ships.com register as a shipper or a forwarder on our platform and we will get in touch to tell you what it is all about next if you're looking for some merch uh, for the supply chain chain professional, logistics professional, procurement professional in your life. We've got some really great merch over on letstalksupplychain.com under shop. Plus, we have the Supply Chain Dictionary, which is 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions you will need to succeed in your supply chain career. Lastly, if you'd like to be recognized on an upcoming episode, make sure to go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. We will be sharing your review in in an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.